Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, got a great show for you today. Before we get started, I just want to remind you, we have a new segment. It's called Listen and Learn, and you'll find it only on the naturalrunningnetwork.com. Be sure to tune in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I'm with Pip Taylor. She's an accredited sports dietitian and a professional triathlete. She has just released a new book called The Athlete's Fix. I think it's a fascinating read, and we're going to delve into the, you know, the details of it right now. Because guess what? Everybody out there is concerned one way or another about their diet and whether it's affecting their performance, whether it's causing them to gain or lose weight. So everybody should listen to this. So grab your coffee. Everybody sit tight. And let me introduce you to Pip Taylor. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the the very nice intro. Well, you know, you deserved it. (laughs) Okay, so Pip, let's let's talk about the athlete's fix a little bit. Let me see if I can set the stage here a little bit. What I gather from what I've seen so far is it's a function of understanding how each individual's bodies respond to the types of foods and nutrients they consume. And obviously enough, through what you've written here, some of us have intolerances, some of us have issues with different types of foods, and they can create havoc on our health and nutrition. And so let, let's just kind of start there. Okay, sure. So you're right. I mean, clearly, as humans, we're all we're all the same species. Um, and in the athlete fix, the book kind of goes through. I guess there's really sort of two levels when we're talking about intolerances. And one could be foods that um, that all of us uh, are really uh, intolerant to when we're talking about consuming them frequently or consuming them in large amounts. And that sort of intolerance, we mean that they can be detrimental to our health. Um, and they might be some of the more obvious ones to, to anyone that's, you know, paid any sort of attention to nutrition and health. So, you know, your, your processed foods, um, packaged foods, refined sugars, refined carbohydrates, so diets that are really, really heavy in those sorts of foods. Um, so not, not too many surprises there. But for a lot of people, they still form a large part of our diet. Um, so the athlete fix really starts at that point um, and is about, I guess, cleaning up the diet a little bit. And from that point, it delves into more individual intolerances and and where someone might sit, perhaps on a spectrum. Um, so and 
and everyone is going to be different when it comes to those foods. Sure. Uh, so, that, so that's been the aim of the book too, is to find out where you as an individual fit, um, what foods work best for you, what foods you're better off either avoiding or eliminating entirely. Um, and that's going to be different um, from your partner, from your parents, from your kids, from your neighbour, from your training partner. And so it really is, a, I guess, a journey, taking people through a journey of discovering what works best for them. Um, so if I could cut you off just a sec. So what, what I find really intriguing about this whole process and the topic is there's so much banter that goes on back and forth about you know, whether people should be on more high-carbohydrate uh, infusion for their diet because they're performance athletes, and the people that have come out with this new wonderkin of diets where they're doing what they call the fat-adapted diet. And, you know, so the process seems to swing one way or the other where it doesn't really take into account individual differences and tolerances in respect to the way people respond to the foods they consume. Yeah, that's right. Look, I think the Athlete Fix is primarily primarily about getting the healthiest foods into your diet. Um, so for me, you know, swinging on the spectrum between high carb and low carb is not really the goal of the book. Um, it's about putting the healthiest foods into your diet that are going to work. Um, you know, when it comes to high carb, low carb, I think, you know, we often, a lot of people tend to talk about that in terms of black and white. It's either one or the other. Um, and I think it's a really grey area. We know from research that, you know, first of all, different people respond to different different diets and different macronutrients in that diet, but also that we need to vary that that carbohydrate availability and energy availability according to our training demands and goals. Um, so that's, that's, that's a more complex question, and, and I really think, too, that that comes at the the end point of performance. Um, I think if we're talking about performance broadly and health broadly, uh, getting the right foods and the healthy foods and a, and a healthy ongoing diet on a daily basis is really the first step. And that's what the Athlete Fix really aims to address. So when you, when you talk about um, just essentially the broad stroke of providing the appropriate nutrition, that's a different... It's a different animal than preparing for an event and feeding strategies leading up to an event, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, often when we talk about sports nutrition, we're really keyed into that race day performance. Um, so people will pay a lot of attention to their race day plan or their, their pre-race meal, um, what they're doing the day before or perhaps two days before. Um, some people might be clued into their recovery nutrition after some key workouts. Um, and obviously those things are really important when we're talking about performance and maximizing training gains. But I think without having the basis of good health, and that is what you eat day in, day out, um, then having those, what I see as icing on the cake is, is really no point. Um, you know, you really need to have that base of the pyramid happening first, and that comes down to good health. When when we talk about performance-oriented feeding, and, you know, as you suggested, people getting hyper-concerned about what they consume the night before but not really giving much attention to their day-to-day -day feeding, 
What I find a lot, and I get this as a coach, I get this a lot from athletes I meet. They have those those morning gut issues. You know, for example, running a marathon and finding that they have to visit the porta potty five times, and clearly that that weighs into their finish time. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> this type of problem. Uh, when I've talked to a lot of sports doctors uh, and exercise physiologists, when we we discuss the whole, what do you do about that uh, that morning bowel issue? What do you do about that you know mid race needing to you know hit the porta potty? And I, I don't get a clear answer from anybody. So I, I notice that you've addressed this, you know, to some extent. Can you kind of touch on that? Because I think a lot of the people, obviously, that listen to this show are are training and they're athletic. And I know a lot of them are probably shaking their head right now thinking, yeah, yeah, well, give me an answer to that problem. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. It is one of the most common problems, um, particularly, I think, in endurance athletes and, and, and sports that you're on your feet where you have that, that gravity and a bit of jostling and bounce. And and to be honest, there's there can be a number of reasons for those sort of GI problems. Um, and there is a section in the Athlete Speaks where there's a real sort of mud map um, to tease out what could be your issue um, because it may or may not be intolerances. There can be some acute issues to do with your fueling practices on the race day. Um, you know, perhaps you are taking in too much or, or too much fiber or too much fat or too much caffeine. Um, how you respond to that can be different, but it can also be a sign of an underlying intolerance. Um, and that may be exacerbated by the stress of race day or it may be exacerbated um, by what you're eating going into that into that race as well. Um, and so... The, I guess the aim is to really work through all of those issues and, and figure out which one is yours um, or a combination of, of what is causing your problem um, and hopefully address that as well. Uh, could you point to specific foods or products that you feel are generally just a bad idea or feeding strategies that's just a bad idea leading into an event, say, I'm just using a marathon, for example, because... You know, that's an extensive thing. You're out there for like a few hours or so. What, what what are the things that you really want to not do? Well, look, I think, I mean, that is such an individual question. And you speak to athletes that have been successful um, from right through the ranks, you know, from people that have successfully completed their goal of finishing the race right through to the elite level. And you're going to have different answers as to, as to what they do in terms of their nutrition and fueling. Um, and most of those have, people have figured it out pretty well. But you do also see some common themes. Um, you know, obviously having too large a meal, too close to a race is going to be problematic. Um, for a lot of people, consuming foods that are either too high in fibre or, or just having too much carbohydrate and too much sugar hitting the gut at any one time is also going to be problematic. Um, when it comes to intolerances, I think, you know, a really obvious and easy one is a lactose intolerance. Um, and that can be, for some people, they're very aware of their lactose intolerance day in, day out, and they know they have to avoid dairy, and so they have their issue under control. For other people, it may be mild enough that they don't actually realise. Um, and yet when they come into a race, whether that's increased stress or their body temperature is increased or the air temperature is increased um, for a number of reasons. It can mean that they just don't 
tolerate and digest those those lactose lactose as well, and that that causes their GI distress as well. Okay, getting on to the idea of intolerances, and you you pointed to lactose, and then there's of course gluten. You know, I, I used to think that the whole idea of gluten intolerance was just uh, a means for someone to to bang the drum about their particular diet process, and that I didn't really believe that that many people had gluten intolerances. But I, I see in your book that you talk about intolerances for the most part are on the rise. Can you touch on why that is and if it is? Yeah, look, I think um, you know part of that question is unanswered. We're not exactly sure why they are, but it is it is accepted that intolerances are rising, and we're seeing those numbers rise. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, within the medical world as well as more generally, I think, an acceptance um, that these, some of these intolerances exist, um, whereas previously they weren't either diagnosed or, or recognised. Um, so certainly some of the increase comes from, from that recognition, um, but there are, there are definitive numbers um, showing that, that even without that, that, that intolerances are rising. Um, and you know, I think I think a large part of that has to do with our diet in general um, becoming more refined, more processed, and and really linking back into that that gut health and what's that what those sorts of westernised diets are doing to our our gut health and bacteria um, and our immunity because the gut is the centre of, of of the immune system um, and that linking back into then these, these increase in intolerances, um, and I think I think the other part of the puzzle too is that people just becoming more aware or more questioning, thinking, you know, I have this these symptoms, I'm I'm having frequent headaches or I have these GI problems, and whereas they may have accepted them for a long time or learned to live with them, um, there's probably more people now, and and I think athletes were always at that, that end of the curve of trying to improve health and, and question things within our body. Um, and, and so you're starting to see people say, well, is there something else I can be doing about this um, that doesn't involve, you know, perhaps medication? Um, and nutrition is, is the obvious answer. It's also uh, the one thing that we can control ourselves quite easily. Um, you know, it's something that we all do multiple times a day. So we're making those decisions day in, day out, and, and we have a lot of control over it. So what I'm gathering from all of this is that what you need to do is, first of all, identify what foods your body deals with most efficiently, where you're going to get the most amount of uh, nutrient from your eating, and just kind of stick to that process and, and don't mess with it. And then it becomes a function of volume, how much food you need relative to the amount of energy you're expending. Right. Well, kind of right. What you're, what you're saying is correct in terms of we're aiming to maximize the nutrition in the diet. Um, so really looking for those nutrient-dense foods. And that, that clearly comes from foods that are in their most natural state. Um, and then there's going to be individual variation in terms of the foods that work best for you. Um, but when you say find it and stick to it, it's a little bit uh, more nuanced than that because intolerances and sensitivities can change throughout a lifetime. Um, so 
I mean, for instance, as a child, you might have you might have different foods that, that you're more sensitive to and intolerant to than an, as, as an adult. Um, for, a, for a woman, the changes in hormones that happen at puberty or during pregnancy or lactation and then again at menopause, all of those changes can really influence um, what foods you, you react to as well. Um, under different circumstances of stress, so while it is a matter of finding the foods that work with you, it's also an ongoing process. Um, and that's what the Athlete Fix tries to really guide you through, um, to, to just cluing in, I guess, to your body and your symptoms and, and, and just some awareness about what you're eating and how you're feeling. Wow, now it just got complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make it simple. But it actually is. Yeah. So what I, what I gather and you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the way you do this? Is you you begin by hitting the reset button, so to speak. You're going to get you're going to try to extract the types of foods that are potential culprits uh, from your diet that are causing problems, and then you through this process of elimination and reintroduction, you say, Ah, I thought it was a problem, but uh, turns out it's not. So I'm okay with this. And then you go through basically a checklist and determine which foods were okay, which foods were not okay. And yeah. and then, you know, you start to figure out what you can live with and what you can't. Is that about right? That's correct, yeah. So, it's, look, it's, it, it really is quite a simple process. There's only a couple of steps. Um, and, and as you said, the first one is really stripping things back. So what I've called the base functional diet. And that's about just stripping... Um, foods out of your diet to make the process more simple, um, make identifying problematic foods quite obvious and easy. You know, I guess it's a, a function of like if you start eliminating six or seven culprits at a time, you may not identify which one was actually the perpetrator of the crime, right? You've got to kind of do this in a, on a, on a very painstaking basis, taking one or two at a time, right? Yeah, I guess that's that's the premise about when you're adding foods back in is is just to do one one at a time and and see how you go with that with that food or or a food group. Um, so for some people the process can be relatively quick. For other people that have a lot more symptoms or or, or find that they're a lot more sensitive to different foods, it can take a little bit longer. Um, but it's you know, I guess for those people that that are really suffering with lots of symptoms, then it then it's worth that time. Well, I haven't I haven't got to it, or maybe um, maybe you haven't added it in here, but the the concept of calories, because what I'm thinking is, let's just say that I I start pulling the trigger on various foods that I think are problematic, and in essence, what I'm doing is I'm starting to deplete my total volume of food. Couldn't that trigger some issues that may cause you to feel, um, you know, maybe your blood sugar is uh, 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 compromised or something like this because you're just not get, getting enough food? Is, is there anything that you, you speak of in respect to the volume, the breakdown of macronutrients in, in the meals? Yeah, look, I think, uh, so in the book I, I address um, if you're removing foods, what foods that you can replace them with. Um and and the goal of the book is not to be a diet book. Um, it's to be it, it's more along the lines of health and health then leading to performance for athletes. Um, 
So, and and to be honest, I'm not I'm not a fan of, of counting calories. Um, I like to unless there's specific circumstances where that is necessi- necessary. Um, but I think I think really that the basic start point is taking out the foods that are unhealthy and unpro- and problematic and replacing those so that you are and, and the volume and the calories is really judged by by feel um, and hunger um, which is a huge part of the process as well you know I think I think we get used to tuning out to how we feel we get used to tuning out from our hunger signals um, and that really is an important part of eating well and eating healthily. Okay, so the reason I asked, I'll just share with you, is we do resting metabolic assessments here. From that, we establish essentially the baselines of what caloric requirement would be, uh, and then we start to develop opinions about what the breakdown should be in the commonalities of complex carbohydrates versus simple carbs versus protein versus fat. And then we start to develop an opinion about how many calories a person should get relative to their lifestyle and their activity levels and such. But what we don't do a lot of is, as you suggest, and what the strength of your book is, is about identifying foods that are that are just not agreeing with you. And so when we try to ask someone about how they want to eat or what their palate is like, a lot of times they just tell us, tell us this is the kind of foods I like to eat, and then we try to build meals around what they like where in fact it could very well be that the things they've developed a fondness towards could very well be at the at the heart of their problem, right? Yeah, that's right. Actually, there's, there's a section in the book too that um, that delves into that a little bit because, because sometimes what we find is the foods that you like the most or crave the most, um, the foods that you feel that you could not give up, um, they could actually be some of the most problematic for you. Um, which which has to do with sensitivities and hormone releases and a feedback system. Um, so so that's definitely a sometimes a red flag when when people say, look, I really cannot do without this food. And, and a lot of these foods become addictive too. Salty foods and and greasy foods. These are things that you you develop not just a, an intolerance to, but you, you you get a pretty profound fondness for. Yeah, I think, I mean, those foods that you mentioned, I think we as humans, we're all kind of programmed to be seeking out those foods. It's, that's really part of um, what helps us survive as a, as a species or, or did help us survive when we we're in a, uh, in a in an environment where food was hard to come by. Um, now it's easy to come by. It's uh, to our detriment, I think, those, those cravings. Um, but the cravings that I'm talking about are really on an individual basis and they can be for, for really different different foods. It might be for a particular vegetable or fruit um, and that has to do with the, with the food chemicals in those foods. Um, and when I say food chemicals, I'm not meaning, you know, when you pick up a, a, a packet and you see all those numbers that have been added into a food. I'm talking about naturally occurring chemicals all foods natural foods have their their own food chemicals um, and those can can react in our body and, and for different people they have a, a much higher sensitivity threshold to those to those chemicals than other people 
Given what you do, do you find there's a trend? Is there essentially a boilerplate template in respect to what is a reasonable approach to feeding that tends to be um, what I call grass, which is generally recognized as safe? Uh, what what do you mean by that? Well, what I'm saying is is that if you were to okay, um, let me see if I can give you a, a good way of looking at this. Let, let's just say that we're 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 having a conversation one day, and and I need a down and dirty. How should I approach my daily feeding? Obviously enough, the conversation tends to revolve around some basic things like uh, I sh- you should have your carbs. Uh, earlier in the day, protein towards the latter part of the day, or at least a greater percentage of them towards the latter part of the day. I, you know, I, I've talked to uh, uh, Dr. John Ivey and Dr. Portman where these guys talk about nutrient timing and when these calories are best uh, absorbed by the body relative to just the way our bodies operate. But, I mean, do you have uh, some things, don't do this, absolutely do this. Can you narrow it down for the most part? Look, I think, I mean, there's such a... There really is a bell curve when it comes to all of those things where the majority of people are going to fit in that in that bell curve. Um, but so much of it also depends on, one, your individual body and how you react to the foods. Um, and then, you, I mean, if you're talking along the lines of timing throughout the day or macronutrients, then that depends so much too on your particular goals. Um and your whether that's your athletic goals or or how that fits into your your day, um, how you're structuring your work day, your family day, your training, um, how that's how that's structured throughout the week as well, um, and and often what you find too is um, what what you might plan for say your Monday is going to be completely different to what you plan for your Tuesday in terms of nutrition. The breakdown, um, the macronutrient content for your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, your snacks, and that's that's based on the reflection of, of the difference between the two days in terms of activity and and whatever else is happening in your life too. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm trying to figure out what what would be the day to day process, and let, let's just assume that you know, let's just create a uh, a drone here and let let's have fun with it. So let's just assume that we've identified that I'm lactose intolerant, but I'm pretty good with most other foods. And my day-to-day is I get up in the morning early, I get my exercise predominantly in the morning, and then you know my day starts to settle down and I, I'm not nearly as active through the evening hours. Or, For example, in my case, I'm in bed early. I mean, I, I'm generally asleep by 9 o'clock in the evenings and I'm up by 5, uh, generally before 5. And, you know, here I'm a guy that's not 20 any longer. <laughs> and so I don't I don't have the uh, body composition of a 20-year-old where, you know, I'm just on fire all the time metabolically. But if I said, look, I'm just not, I'm not quite where I want to be. I'm not quite, you know, as energetic as I like to be. What would be the things that you point to first? And I get the whole density of nutrition and making sure that you're, you're making better food choices. But are, is there is there some some templates, just kind of roundabout templates that you'd approach in this regard? I look. I mean, I think the, the first step, if you're talking about um, energy as well throughout the day, I would be I'd be looking at what 
foods you're eating. Um, you know, are you are you consuming foods that could be causing inflammation in the body? Um, foods that can be contributing to levels of fatigue um, and or hindering your recovery process and recovery from either physical activity or or just um, you know the day to day stress um, and managing managing life situations. Um, so that would be that would be my absolute first step is looking at the types of food, um, right. and that's the first thing to address. Um, further down, I think the the levels of priority come um, the caloric content, um, and then also the distribution throughout the day and how you're managing that. Um, but I mean, for me, always is really the types of food that you're eating as the first port of call. Give me an, an idea of what your personal diet looks like throughout the course of the day. Are you are you still competing? I am. Um, I've just had a my second baby. He is now four and a half weeks old. Um, Congratulations! So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, so it's busy days in this house at the moment. I've got a, a two a two year old and a four and a half week old. Um, so right now, not much sleep happening. Um, but yes, I am training. I'm back training and planning on racing again. Uh, in I think those race plans will unfold over the next couple of months. Um, but I've actually I've just jumped off the bike this morning before we got on the call, so that's all happening. <laughs> so yes, nutrition. I mean, it's clearly something that I'm I'm extremely passionate about, um, and you know, some of that stemmed from my own personal journey as an athlete. Um, and really trying to nail down every every inch that I could that would contribute to my performance um, on race day, and and for me that was the process of working backwards and and figuring out on a day to day basis what I could do um, to make things you know the the best for my body as I could. Um, having a family. Really, that that focus on on good nutrition has only intensified. Um, you know, I want to give my kids the best start that that they they can have as well when it comes to food, and that's that's something that I can very easily control from my kitchen for the most part. Um, so it's it's an area that that it, that it's very very important to me. Um, so in terms of what I do on a daily basis, uh, again, I mean that changes. Um, according to what's what's going on, what's in season, um, what I have on the on the training plan for that day, um, but really, I mean, we eat very simply. Um, you'll see in the book there's a lot of recipes. Uh, those all come out of my kitchen. Um, they're all things that I eat, and and all of those recipes are very simple as well. Um, there's lots of good good quality proteins. Um, we eat lots of fish. We eat lots of, um, you know, lamb and beef and chicken and lots and lots of vegetables. Um, you know, every time I go to the markets and we we stock up on vegetables and I think, oh, we've bought we've bought maybe too many this time. But you know, within within a couple of days, we've run out because <laughs> that's what we eat. Right. So, are you difficult to take to a restaurant? 
No, no. And I think that, um, you know, that's one of the key things that, that people need to understand is that is that this this way of eating and clearing up your diet is, is extremely easy, um, you know, and it's, it's something that can be catered for anywhere without having to ask for something special unless you are a celiac, in which case, yes, you absolutely have to know what's in that sauce um, or unless you have an extreme sensitivity or an extreme intolerance, then going out anywhere is is very, very easy um, and you don't need to make a fuss about it. There will be guaranteed something on, on every menu that you can easily eat and enjoy. Huh. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> I mean, Richard, if you look at if you look at the recipes in there, I mean, you can see um, chicken wings and stews. Um, you know, they're not they're not foods that are they're outside the realm of people recognizing as being um, daily staple foods. <laughs> no, I I could see that. Yeah, it's it's real. Actually, the book's done very well, and I, I love the imagery and. It's a lot of interesting things that you've got going on in here. Uh, I just, uh, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> no, well, what price health, right? Yeah. Um, again, I think that, that's something that um, is a little bit of a myth in terms of it being a lot of work. Um, yes, it does require a little bit more time in the kitchen, but really not much. I mean, I can I can tell you that I can get in the kitchen and cook up something from scratch faster than you could drive down and pick something up from the shop and put it in the microwave or 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 in the oven to reheat. Um, yeah. So it really is a matter of one being prepared, and that just means having the ingredients in your house. Um, so getting out, whether that's to the markets or make use of home delivery. Um, you know, most places these days will deliver to your house, um, which really takes a lot of time and effort out of that, that shopping process. Once you have the ingredients in the house, it's it's really quite a simple process of, of getting things out on the table quickly. You know, what I find in my house is that well, I rarely, incidentally, I rarely go to the grocery. My My wife does it. But she'll ask me, you know, she never goes out the door to the, to pick up food where she doesn't first ask me what I want. And I always come back with, oh, I don't know, just whatever, you know, just whatever, just go get food, right? So I might get on a rant and I'll say, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's do some healthy salads and some vegetables and things like this. And so she'll go stock up on a lot of that stuff and it ends up rotting in the refrigerator <laughs> because I never get around to it. I do, incidentally, I do a lot of the cooking in the house. <laughs> Maybe that's not, that's what's got to change, right? Yeah, and look, I mean, it, once you also learn, you don't have to be a master chef in the kitchen. Um, having a couple of little tricks up your sleeve or a little bit of know-how um, certainly goes a long way. And once you know how to cook, a handful of things you can really mix it up and change things and adapt things to make almost anything um, and I think that really is one of the key is that is that cooking healthy cooking and eating well is often the most simple cooking um, it's usually a matter of taking a couple of ingredients and not doing much to them um, you know vegetables 
you don't need to do much to. Um, I think I think most people would be able to cook a steak. Most people would be able to steam a couple of vegetables or throw them in the oven. And there's there's your dinner. There's your there's your healthy meal. Um, so it's not a it doesn't have to be a matter of getting fancy or, or getting complex in the kitchen. Well, I, I've made myself out to be an ogre, and and I'm really not. I mean, <laughs> for the most part, uh, we do, you know, and I, like I said, that I do the cooking. When I cook, it's certainly pretty healthy fare. I I barbecue almost all of the meats that we eat because we got a nice barbecue, and we do live in Southern California, so it's kind of a year-round affair. Um, but I'll I will commonly barbecue some chicken breast or salmon or um, some flank steak for Mexican food. I rarely invest in expensive steaks because I don't like the way I prepare them, and I'm very, very fussy about the way uh, my steaks are handed out when I invest in a decent steak. I'd rather go somewhere where the professionals can do it. But we do, like you suggest, we'll steam up a vegetable and uh, have some kind of a uh, rice or potato or or such with with the but that's it that's pretty much it and and that's pretty common fare it's just that uh, one of my favorite things to do and and I'm afraid it's probably the, the biggest enemy on my plate is preparing pasta I like to experiment with my pasta I experiment with my sauces and and I just I don't know whether it's the sauce whether it's the pasta or me just eating too much of it, but I'm, I'm sure that there's a problem in there somewhere. <laughs> Quite possibly, Richard. Maybe you'll have to you'll have to work through the uh, the process of the of the book and figure that out. <laughs> so the other end of it is, and I haven't brought it up or haven't uh, really delved into to see whether you talk about it much, but alcohol. And and I tell people, and I got to tell you, I'm I'm just like, oh, gosh, I'm I'm really weak. Uh, I like I like scotch, I you know, and I've been very uh, fond of these uh, these uh, uh, trendy beers that are coming out, and I just uh, so I think the the biggest problem with me is alcohol, and I know that just extracting that from my diet, forget about trying to find the one that works best for me, but if I extract it from my diet, everything goes much better. What are your thoughts on on diet and in regard to alcohol intake? Yeah, look, I mean, you're 100% correct when you say that, and that's true for most people. As soon as they take out the alcohol, um, all of a sudden you you see people and you hear them say how much weight they've dropped, how much better they feel. Um, So for a lot of people that can be one of the first things that they do um, to really kickstart feeling better and and performing better. if you're talking about, you know, the occasional glass, um, that that can be a little bit of a different story. Um, and and I'm not I'm not one for, you know, for me a, a big part of eating well is being able to enjoy your food and enjoy your meals. Um, but alcohol can also be problematic in terms of inflammation and in terms of gut health. And particularly if that if that gut wall is already inflamed from all the other foods and drinks that you're consuming, um, so I think if you're working through the process and trying to to really get the best foods and and repair some of that gut and reduce some of that inflammation, then yes, I do recommend removing alcohol for a period of time. 
um, and just getting things back on track. Um, and from there, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not opposed to the odd glass of wine or, or whatever it is that, that you enjoy, and that's that's really part of life. Um, We're going to need an intervention. <laughs> you know, there's there's drinking and then there's drinking. So, and and for different people that means different things. Um, well, you're Aussie. I would imagine that you're surrounded by it. Don't you guys like to? You guys are fond of your alcohol, aren't you? Not? I don't know. I think that's more the perception. But um, I don't know. For for me, I mean, I'm obviously not drinking and haven't for a while. Right. Um, well, you were pregnant for for one. Yeah, correct. Um, but I guess I guess before that, and you know, I do enjoy a good wine. But for me, that's that's very rare and a very small amount. Wow. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I could tell you that recently, I even beyond reviewing your book and what have you, I made that commitment. I'm gonna, I said, you know what? I've got to clean this up. I know. I mean, I know. It's a matter of just about three or four days of being free of alcohol where I start noticing that my sleeping is better and then yeah. I'm just functioning much, much better. So if there's, a, if there's something that my body has an intolerance to and a fondness for, it's probably alcohol. And that what you mentioned about sleep is is another huge part of the picture too. Um, and anything that interferes with your sleep and food intolerances can interfere with sleep most definitely. That um, that is going to to play a huge role in not only how you feel and how you perform, but it also feeds back into things like body weight and body composition. Um, so so anything that you can do to really improve your sleep and your sleep quality um, is hugely important yeah i agree with you wow gosh it's so tough to be cool <laughs> you know it's, but, it's, it's just it's about breaking some habits sometimes yeah. too, um and and replacing them with, with good habits well i've got a couple of good habits i got a couple oh sure you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i got a couple but i mean you know i i i don't know it's just it's i guess uh it's the tenure it's the fact that I've been around so long that it's these, some of these things are ingrained. It's just really, really tough. And I, I make the joke with people. I said, you know, if I was going to be an alcoholic, I'd have been one by now. And, I mean, you know what I mean? It's it's like it's not a threat. I'm, I'm 60 years old and still fine. I'm maybe I'm what they call a functioning alcoholic. I'm able to do things, but I, I have to have a little something to drink now and then. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a it's definitely a conundrum, you know, to perform well and to enjoy life at the same token. You're saying, I know, I hear what you're saying is that you can certainly enjoy your your feeding and your in your lifestyle and what have you. You got to have a chapter added to the next book where you talk about the intervention, where the guys in the suits come and grab you, and then introduce you to these great foods and uh, keep you from having anything that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Well, I would hope it's it's not not as drastic as that. And you know, one of my goals with the book was to make the whole process enjoyable too, um, and not to make people feel as though they are being deprived or um, missing out on things. And 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 really about exploring and um, discovering new foods as well, um, or, or ones that they hadn't thought about eating. Um, so. You know, for, for me, there's if you're not enjoying life and you're not able to enjoy your food, um, then 
that's no fun. No. So here I, I'm, I'm formulating a business for you. I'm thinking in terms of wouldn't it be cool, you know, and incidentally I know the perfect place to do it. I don't know if you're fond of the West Coast in California, but Absolutely. We, we get you to a resort, okay? As a matter yeah. of fact, okay. yeah. now listen to me now. I, I actually am involved with a business that does a fitness retreat at a very exclusive resort. And I'm going to kind of leave it there for a minute. But the, the concept is people check in. They're part of this thing for a few weeks. They're getting daily exercise, and then they're being fed, okay? Wouldn't it be cool if you could say, all right, we're going to put everybody on this base diet, this base functional diet, and we're going to one by one go through and find the things that are working, things that aren't, goal being that at the end of a few weeks that they've adapted to the type of feeding that you're suggesting would be most appropriate for them and how to carry it on once they leave. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that would be kind of the ideal situation to be in. So, yeah, you've got me on board there, Richard. Really? Um, okay. But but what I was going to say, too, is I bet if you brought people in somewhere like that and they were being fed, that there would be no complaints about what they were eating, despite it being different from their previous diet. And I guarantee that the majority of people wouldn't even recognize um, that they were eating something different. They wouldn't notice that things were missing because, one, the food is normal. Um, it, there's nothing strange about the food, um, and it's all good. Right. Well, I, I think I agree with you. I, I just think it's the, just the taking the steps is the is the most difficult thing because for people to initiate, and I mean, I, I do online coaching with people and I coach people, and, you know, the, the, the simplest of things that I ask them to do sometimes become, you know, just a chore to get them to do it. And, I, and I, you know, I'm not going to exclude myself from this. I think that I'm as bad as most. But if you had the chance for, you know, a few weeks to just, you know, you wake up in the morning and we're starting our business off with uh, our breakfast and then we're going to get some exercise, we're going to come back and feed again. And then you're introducing these foods to them you know, meal by meal, day by day, and getting them in the kitchen, let them feel, touch, get around it, just get a figure on what it is that tr they're trying to produce on their own and what it what it's going to taste like. I, this is great. I think we could do a, a, a reality show. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just, you know, I talked about an intervention. That's essentially what that is, right, is you're giving people the education and you get, you're giving them the exposure. You're not... You're not, you yeah. know, binding them and, you know, the guys with the white jackets come grab them and dragging the pizza out from their faces while they're – but I think I think you're right. I think that's that's what it's going to take for me, you know. Yeah, uh, look, I, I mean, I agree with you that sometimes it's that first step. Um, and there's a lot of fear associated, too, with changing your foods and your diets. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, food to us as, as humans, as people – is not just about fuel. It's not just about providing energy for all our cells and systems to work and function. There's so much wrapped up in it, so much emotionally wrapped up in it. Um, you know, you have you have foods that 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 are comfort foods and that come from perhaps your childhood or your culture, your history. Um, we go out and socialize with food, so there's so much that's wrapped up in um, all the, the customs and traditions and 
um, the emotions surrounding food that make it so much more than fuel that it becomes hard for people to to take that first step um, with that fear surrounding it. So hopefully I think the book breaks down some of those barriers by really normalising it, um, by showing you that the food doesn't have to be different, by showing you that um, you can eat foods that are very similar to what you might currently be eating, to showing you how you can eat, how you can still go out in those social situations and eat with friends and family um, without making, having to make a fuss about any changes. Um, and, and to really guide you through that process. Um, but while still recognising that for some people it is about, okay, making that decision. Um, and I think too that that keeping a, a food diary and recognising if you are feeling better with those changes, that can be a really powerful motivator, um, particularly if you are suffering with, with some symptoms along the way. Well, I think we get familiar with our symptoms and we we become comfortable with them. You know? Perfect. It's like I've talked to people, uh, over, I mean, I've been in this business for a very long time and in and, and all facets of it. And I've had clients that are trying to lose weight, and I've done weight loss programs for people, and and what have you. I actually did a program for television once upon a time, and and uh, so I've been around it a lot. And you get people that, you know, you look at them and you go. I, I remember an individual that I work with where, after you know, exercising and monitoring their food and what have you for a period of time. Uh, one day I walked up to her and I handed her a kettlebell that was uh, 16 kilos. Yeah. And and I said, hold this for me. And she says, okay. And she's holding on to it and looking at me with this dumbfounded look. And I said, how'd you like to walk around with that all day? She still didn't get it. But I said, well, that's what you lost. That's what you you no longer carry with you every day. So I think we get it. We have a tendency to get comfortable with the way we roll and. Even though when you escape from it, you realize how uncomfortable it was. But you have to escape in order to, to have that sensation. So in essence, what you're saying is that once you kind of adapt to a better way of eating, you come to realize that it's a better path. And, and then you clearly you, you find that it's, it's palatable and, and it's doable and, and you can hang on to it. That's right. I mean, you're so right that we do learn to live with what we've got um, and that becomes our reality. That becomes our normal day-to-day. Um, and if you can commit to making some changes and 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 realise that things can be so much better, um, then then that needs to be your, your motivator. Um, and, you know, things do become easier and, and new habits become your habits and your, and your day-to-day how you live. We're getting really close to time here. So what I want to do, if I could, have you touch on the broad strokes of how you would set out to develop your base functional diet and how that system operates. Just give me about uh, three or four minutes of that, okay? Okay. So, the, I mean, the goal behind the base functional diet is, first of all, stripping out um, the foods that, that could be problematic and, and the ones that are broadly problematic for almost everyone. So so really all your processed and packaged foods. So you're thinking along the lines of, you know, sodas and candy bars and um, things that are refined carbohydrates, so things that I would classify as 
um, refined carbohydrates, your breads and your cereals and all those sorts of grain products. Um, you're taking out products that are, that are going to contain um, dairy because for a lot of people, um, either the lactose or the casein can be something that's problematic. Um, you're taking out your your sugar-containing foods, which, which are again are in a lot of your processed and packaged foods. Um, your soy, which again can be problematic for lots of people. And and really stripping the diet back to the basics. So focusing on on your fresh foods. So you're having, you know, your good quality protein foods, all your fruits and veggies. You're having nuts and seeds. The basics, really. I don't think I don't think that 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 part of it is is rocket science or or, or anything that's that's that complicated. And. And then the process is about figuring out from there, are there, are there any of those foods that, that can still be problematic? You know, for some people, strawberries can be something that they react to and, and shouldn't be eating or, or shouldn't be consuming in a, in a certain amount. For other people, eggs can be an issue. And, and once you've, you've eliminated, I guess, any foods that can be causing problems, it, you can, you can experiment with adding foods back in. For instance, I'm a, I love my dairy foods. For me, dairy is not an issue at all. So I, I do eat a lot of cheese and yogurt on a daily basis, and that's not a problem. But for the next person, that could be a problem. Right. Well, I know, uh, that, I too love my cheese, and I I always eat Greek yogurt. So I don't know that I, it agrees with me, but I certainly like it. <laughs> yeah, you know that's uh, that. I think that's common for a lot of people. So it's you know it's it's figuring out, and and you might also find that you're saying it might not agree with you, but you like it. There might be a certain amount that you're okay with, or there might be a certain you know, you might know that just leading into either a hard workout or leading into a race that you need to give you some, yourself some time where you're not consuming as much or you're not consuming it at all. Um, and for each person, that's going to be different. It, it, it just falls on a spectrum. Yeah. Well, I think the, the next thing we need to do while we're wrapping this, well, first of all, is there anything else from a tip perspective that you might want to offer up that would be like down and dirty and uh, people carry home with them? I think keep things sim- simple. When it comes to eating well, eating um, healthy foods, is to keep thing as, things as simple and as close to, to their natural state as possible. Um, and the other thing that I want to say is that, I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour about this process and intolerances, and I think that, that some of that makes it sound more complex than what it actually is. It really is quite a quite a simple and doable process. Um, it's not arduous, and the foods are, you know, enjoyable and and normal in that sense of the word foods. I think it's going to be a lot easier if they buy your book too. I think totally you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't you tell the audience how to find your book, you and whatever else did you want to lend out to them? Sure. Okay. So the athletes fix. Um, a program for finding your best foods for performance and health. It is available, the publisher VeloPress. Um, it's also available on my website, particularly if you live in Australia, um, which is piptaylor.com. 
Um, it's also available online through Amazon and Booktopia and, and those sellers as well as your local um, running and cycle and other sports stores. Cool. Well, Pip, I guess the next time we talk, we'll be at this resort. That sounds fantastic to me. Have you have you ever been to Santa Barbara? You know, I haven't been to Santa Barbara, so you can uh, you can book me in. Yeah, there's a little a little uh, north of Santa Barbara, right on the coast, is a little place called the Bacara. Yeah. Bacara Resort. If you look it up. Okay. Uh, and and just check it out. They they actually have a fitness program there that absolutely needs a revamp. I mean, I, I've been contracted to do some things for them there, and, and uh, I just think that we could do a much better job. Okay, well, that sounds perfect to me. All right, well, listen, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy being a mom. Good luck with your future competitions. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. No worries. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.